take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. We started last week in Jonah chapter 1 and we got through the first two verses of Jonah 1 and I hope that we'll be able to get through the whole chapter today and trusting the Lord is faithful. We got through it the first hour and I'm praising and trusting the Lord that we will get through it here at the Elevate service as well. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go online at lomachurch.org and listen to the sermon, but let me catch you up as to what it was that we talked about. One point last week and, and it was simply this, as we began to uncover Jonah Jonah chapter 1, the first two verses of Jonah 1, really talk about God's word promoting responsibility over reason. And that was the point that we talked about. God's word will always promote responsibility over reason. And so as we think about what that statement says, and as we think about how that connects with, with, with Jonah, uh, when God tells us to do something, it may not always make logical sense. It may not always make sense as, as to why, God, are you telling me to go to Nineveh? Why are you telling me to, to go to these Gentile dogs to preach and to teach these people who, who have no concept of you and, and they're, they're, they're very bad people? Why is it that you're calling me? It doesn't make reasonable sense. It doesn't make logical sense that you would call us uh, to do this thing, but understand that as we see that God's word uh, does not promote, or does re- it promotes responsibility over reason. He doesn't call us to think through and have a logical explanation. What he calls us to is to be responsible to his call, to be responsible to what he's called us to do. And so now we, we launch off of this, and let's look at the rest of Jonah chapter 1 and see what else the Lord would have us to learn. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Jonah chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse number 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, or Joppa, and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down, and he was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, uh, will, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, verse 7, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what, of what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do, <clears throat> what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, and he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they couldn't because the sea grew more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on his innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Father, we thank you for this word. And God, as we approach it here today, may we understand, may we learn. Father, may our hearts be open to hear a word from you. We, 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 we need to hear from you today, Lord. 
We ask this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, please be seated. As we saw last week and we picked up this week, responsibility, God's word promotes responsibility over reason. So it's not enough for us to understand why God's calling us to do it. We are to be responsible to the calling. The second thing that we understand from this text as we read Jonah chapter 1 is this. The devil will always give you a way out of God's will. The devil will always give you a way out of God's will. Again, look at verse number 3. Jonah is, it says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, which is in the exact opposite direction. The known world is as far away as you can get from Nineveh. Uh, Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Jaffa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it and to go to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. There's a few things worth noting here. First of all, there's no question that Jonah's mind was already made up. That he, he wasn't going to follow the Lord. I hear people say that, well, Jonah, maybe he was going to Joppa and he was still trying to figure out what he was going to do. No, the reality is the text clearly tells us that Jonah had his mind made up. It says, look at your Bible, it says that he went down to Joppa. Now, if you're going down to Joppa, that means you're traveling from north to south. And so as he's making that journey to the port of Joppa, his back is already turned toward Nineveh. So Jonah had already had his mind made up that I am not going to follow the word of God for my life. Instead, he had already decided that I am walking away from Nineveh and I'm going to walk this way. I'm going away from the will of the Lord. And so don't think that Jonah went to Joppa trying to uncover and decide whether or not he was going to do God's will or not. No, he had his mind made up. There's no surprise here that Jonah's on the run. He's going away from God's calling upon his life. But what he found in the port of Jaffa was out of Jonah's control, right? When Jonah got there, he found a boat. And it just so happened that this boat was sailing to a city which was as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly have gone. Now, Jonah would not have known that. Jonah would not have known that when I go to the port of Jaffa, there's going to be a boat that says destination Tarshish here. And, and he's not going to know that that was what was going to be there. He, wasn't, he didn't know he was going to find that there. But he found this boat and was going to Tarshish. And perhaps he thought, well, hmm. I wonder if God has changed his mind and now God has placed this boat right here in front of me and now I can just get on this boat and, and go the way I want to go. No, just because, just because sin's path looks clear and easy doesn't mean that God is telling you to go down that path. You see, the devil will always give you a way out of God's will. There's two things I find interesting about uh, these verses right here, verse 3 and verse 4. First of all, our text tells us that he paid the fare to the sailors. He paid the fare to the mariners to go to Tarshish. This is, this is intriguing to me. Jonah did everything in the eyes of the human government. He did everything legal. He, he didn't do anything illegal here, right? He broke no law of man. He wasn't a stowaway. He didn't just try to, to get on the boat without people knowing it. No, he, he paid the fare. In fact, verse 10 tells us that, that he even spoke to these mariners and told them that he was running away from God. He didn't go into a lot of detail because these mariners would not have let him on the boat. But verse 10 tells us that he had already told them that he was running away from God. He wasn't a stowaway. He wasn't trying to get on the boat for free. No, but he was honest. Sin doesn't necessarily mean you break the law of man. Also know that a half-truth is a full lie. As Jonah was, was 
going around and he was trying to do what was right. It says that he paid the fare. He, he did what was right. He shared with them his story. And, and not all the story, as we see as the tempest begins to grow, they, they said, who are you? Who really are you? We know that you're running from a God, but who, what is the name of your God? And he says, Yahweh. And they begin to flip out because they understand that this is the God of the Jews. This is the God that separated the Red Sea. This is the God that made manna fall from the sky. This is a God you don't go up against. This is a God that you don't fight against. Jonah, you didn't mention that part, buddy. You know, a partial truth is a full lie. And Jonah, he, he didn't tell the full truth. What we see here is that your sin will always find you out. You can't keep hiding it. Ultimately, at some point, your sin will come out. The second thing that intrigues me about this text, about Jonah and Jaffa, is why this port is famous in the first place. There's two things in your Bible in the Old Testament that talk about the port of Jaffa. First of all, the, the, what made Jaffa uh, popular, what, what put them on the map, was this was the same port that the large cedar trees that Solomon uh, had purchased from Lebanon came in in order to build the house of God. And so here at the port of Jaffa, it was used, God used this port to receive a blessing that was instrumental in fulfilling his will. Did you catch that? Here at this port, it was God used this port of Jaffa as an instrumental part to fulfill his will of building his house. But it was also at this port of Jaffa that God saw another prophet of his go to this port running away from his will. Going against his will. What this tells me is that things, things can either glorify God or they can break God's heart. Our words can be used to worship God and to build others up or they can be used to curse God or tear others down. You see, choice is such an important part of the human equation. We are not mindless robots. We, 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 we have within us this free will to choose from right or wrong. The beauty of God is that he does not infringe upon our free will. I've heard people say this, why doesn't God stop the evil in the world? If God is wholly good and evil is wholly evil, then why would good God not stop evil in the world? Have you ever heard that before? Inevitably, this type of reasoning crops up when there's some mass shooting or an innocent child is hurt or, or on the heels of some other tragic moment. Why didn't God stop the bullet? Why didn't God stop the car? Or for our purposes today, why didn't God just make Jonah go to Nineveh? If God knew that Jonah was going to have to live three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, why didn't he just pick up Jonah and put him where he wanted him to go? Now, I want you to listen to this. Don't miss this. The supreme ethic, the supreme ethic that God has given to us is love. Above anything and everything, if you want to describe this book, the Bible, in one word, it's the word love. If you want to describe why Christ came, it's in this word love. 
Why did God create man? This word love. The supreme ethic of everything we know as it relates to God is love. Let me prove it to you. Jesus said of all the commandments, you've heard it said all the commandments. He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. To love the Lord. He said, and then the second is like itself. To love your neighbor as yourself. You see, it's all about love. This, this, this Christian relationship, this, this, this relationship with God, it's a love relationship. Now, if we understand that, love is the supreme emotion that God has given to us, then we have to understand that if I am compelled to do something or to think something, then I am not capable of loving that thing. Did you hear that? If I am forced to do something or I am compelled to like something, then I cannot choose to love that thing myself. It's being chosen for me. You see, love, love is not something, I hear, this, I hear people say this all the time, well, I fell out of love with her. It's like I'm walking along and I fall in a hole or something. Love is not falling in a hole. You can't fall out of love. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice. Love is not an emotion. Passion is an emotion. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. You see, you can't fall out of love. You can't fall in love. You can fall out of passion. You can fall in passion. But you see, love, love is not passion. Love, love is a, a commitment. Love is a choice. And if I force you to do something against your will, and I say, you've got to do this, then you are incapable of choosing that thing yourself. And because of that very fact that you did not choose it, then you can't love it. So if the love, if love is the indispensable truth, if love is the indispensable truth, and freedom is the vehicle that God has chosen to transport love, then for him to violate free will is for him to violate love itself. So when we ask, well, why does God not stop evil? Let me ask this, at what point do we want him to stop evil? At what, at, at what extreme must he, has he go? Is it only to stop the harm of innocent lives? Or should we also ask him to extend it to car accidents too? Well, how bad does the car accident have to be? Is it only when there's a fender bender it's going to cost you money? Or was, is it only when, when lives are lost or people are hurt? At, at what point do we say, God, you've got to stop this evil from happening? What about my own choices? Do we extend it to careless mistakes that we make as a, that, that result in pain? So, so... God should stop every door that slams and, and crushes our fingers? You say, well, that would be pretty cool, right? So God should stop our hand from touching a hot stove? You say, yeah, that's, I'm right there. Or, or what about when you go to hit a, a, a nail with a hammer and you hit the wrong nail and you hit this nail? Ever done that? That'll show whether you're a Christian or not when, by what you say after you do that. You say, yeah, that, that actually sounds pretty good, Pastor. A life with no pain. But if, if we want God to remove all bad things from happening, then what we're asking him to do is to strip away his very nature, which is love. If there is no choice, there is no love. 
If there is no choice, there is no love. And if there is no love, then there is no relationship. You see, life is a series of choices. Evil exists in the world. That's a fact. Evil exists in the world. And and as a result, bad things can happen. Now, I don't believe that just because bad things are happening to you that you did something and that's what caused the bad thing to happen. I hear, I hear people all the time, and they say this, and they say it out of stupidity. When you're in the hospital, they say, well, you must have done something really bad to wind up in the hospital. Well, it, just because you're in the hospital or just because you're sick or something bad happens to you does not necessarily mean that you personally did something to cause that bad thing to happen to you. But let me say this. What caused that bad thing to happen to you is a result of sin. Maybe not your sin, but it all traces back to original sin, does it not? Death and pain and heartache all comes because of the sin of Adam and Eve, right? I mean, when when we step into heaven and sin is eradicated, there is no more pain. There is no more sickness. There is no more death. There is no more divorce. There is no, there is no heartache. There is no pain. There is no more hitting a, 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 your, your nail with a hammer. There is no more touching a hot place. There is no more pain in heaven. So we understand that all evil, all pain, all bad things are ultimately a result of sin. If God allows bad things to happen, oftentimes as a result of poor choices, he allows them to happen in order to not infringe upon our free will. For when free will is stripped away, then love is stripped away. What I just defined for you is what's called the free will defense. When you go into college students and you have a philosophy professor that will inevitably argue that because there is evil in the world, there is no good God, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. What I just defined for you is a strong defense for the purpose and the reality of God. If you have pure evil, then you have to have pure good. In order to understand what black is, you have to have white. In order to understand what light is, you have to understand darkness. In order for there to be pure evil, there must be pure good. And so as we we talk about this, this, this problem of evil, it's a concept that I don't believe that Jonah fully understood. While, while Jonah choose, he, he, he could have choose to run from God, he really thought he could run away from God. And God allowed him. However, understand that God's plan will never be thwarted by our disobedience to him. As I said last week, one of two things is going to happen. When you step outside of God's will and you start running away from God's will, yes, God will bring uh, problems upon you. You will experience pain because you have exited out of his will. You have thwarted his will and you're going on your own path. One of two things on a bad note are going to happen. Number one, God is going to do to you what he did to Jonah. He's going to put you into the fiery furnace. He's going to put you into the belly of the beast to lead you to that place where you will choose to do what he originally called you to do. Now understand that Jonah, when he was spit out on that dry land, he still had a choice. He could have chosen to jump back in that sea and swim away again, couldn't he? But he knows there's a big beast in there and it's going to swallow me up again if I do that. He chose to do, finally, what God had called him to do. That's one thing. Now, if you choose to go 
away from God, God may bring calamity on you. Or, number two, God will do what he did to King Saul. He'll remove his hand of blessing off of your life. And that's a very, very, very sad, desperate, scary thing when you stop and think about it. For God to remove his hand, and I've seen it on churches. I've seen churches that were on fire for the Lord, but God had told them to do something, and the church refused to do it. And ultimately, God removed his hand of blessing off of that church, and that church fizzled and died. And God moved to another church. God moved to another congregation. He said, I'm going to use this. I'm looking for someone who will do what I've asked them to do. You see, my sin, my disobedience will not thwart God's plan. He will either lead me through, through the fire to do it, or he will go find somebody else who will do it. You see, God is sovereign and in control. God, not me, God, not you, is in control. And so here's this prophet of God who's running from God, and it just so happens that, that there's a boat there. He's walking through Joppa, and he looks over, and he sees this boat. Maybe he was going to Tarshish. We don't know. But he sees this boat, and it's going to Tarshish. In his mind, he said, oh, that's the exact opposite direction. I could not get any further from Nineveh than Tarshish. I wonder if God put that boat there. You know how sometimes illogical sin seems? Oh, I'm so unhappy in my marriage. I wonder if God put this, this floozy in my life for me to flirt with. You laugh, but it's illogical, and I know men who thought that. Oh, you know, my, my parents are so mad at me, and they, they're so, they don't let me do anything, so maybe God is letting me and telling me that I should sneak out my window and go hang out with my friends. We've all done it. We're not going to tell these kids that we've done it, but we've all done it. Sin seems illogical. You say, no, wait a minute, why, why would you do that? But you see, this is, exactly, this is exactly what Jonah's faced with. Sin is illogical. Huh, I wonder if this boat is here and God has changed his mind and now he wants me to go to Tarshish. Look, I'm going to pay the fare. You see, Satan will always provide you a way out of God's will. When you come to a fork in the road, there will be many of these in your Christian walk. But when you come to the fork in the road, you can choose this way, which is God's plan, God's will, which oftentimes is narrow and full of obstacles. Or you can choose this way, which is wide and broad because it's trampled down because so many people have walked down that path. And it seems very easy. It seems so easy. Oh, here's a boat that's going to take me. I don't have to walk. I can get on a boat and it's going to take me there. But in the way, in the end, it's destruction. The devil will always give you a way out of God's will. Think about Adam and Eve. Surely God's not going to kill you. You are his greatest creation. You, 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 are, you are the pinnacle of what he has created. He created you in his image. Surely God's not going, surely God is not going to, to kill you. It's good to eat. The devil will always give you a way out of God's plan and God's will. Jonah gets to Joppa and sees a boat. Perhaps he makes this assumption, but he's at a crossroads. He came to a crossroads. He can choose, do I get on this boat and go to Tarshish, or do I turn around and start going to Nineveh? Again, choices. God allowed him the freedom to choose. Now, understand that not all crossroads we face are, are choosing between right and wrong. Sometimes you're at a crossroads, and, 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 and it, it doesn't result. The, the, the result is not going to result in sin. For example, should I take this job or that job? 
I'm at a crossroads. Should I marry this person or that person? Should I marry this person or no one? You're at a crossroads and you say, should I retire now or should I continue working? You see, these choices in and of themselves do not necessarily lead to sin. But they are important enough that we understand that when I come to this big decision, what am I going to major in in college? What am I going to do with my life? When we're faced with these decisions, we know something inside of us clicks and says, wait a minute, this is a big decision. My life, the direction of my life is going to change. The trajectory of my life is going to change by the decision that I make right now. And in those situations, I urge you to discover God's will for your life. One of the biggest questions I'm asked as a pastor, how do you understand, how do you know what God's will is for your life? Well, I wrote a book on that last year, and and we walked through what that meant. But let me give you in a nutshell, when you're faced with a decision, and you don't know, should I go left or should I go right? The first thing that I do is, number one, I determine, is, is one of these decisions, if I choose to go this way or if I choose to go that way, will it result in sin? I look in scripture and I say, okay, if I do this or if I go there, which one would lead me into sin? Well, neither one maybe leads you into sin. Maybe, maybe it's like what we've been talking about. What am I going to major? When am I going to retire? Decisions like that. Then, if it, neither one's going to lead me into sin, then I stop and I fast and I pray. I open God's word and I read scripture. I allow God's, God's word to speak into my life. I, I ask the Lord for peace for one of those decisions. God, give me peace. Now, there's, you're never going, when you're walking into the unknown and you're about to change, there's always going to be a little unsettling in your heart. That's okay. But I pray for peace. I fast for peace. If at that point I still haven't received a clear word from the Lord, if I still don't have peace about the decision that I am to make, then I go to wise counsel. I go to men and women who I trust, who are, are, are walking with the Lord. They, they're, they're full of the Spirit of God, and I, I present them the case. I say, this is the decision that I have to make. What's your counsel to me? I take their counsel, and I think about it. I consider it. If at that point I'm still undecided, if I'm unclear at that point, then I see this as a very clear answer from God. Oftentimes, human nature is, well, I've got to step, and I'm just going to go then. I'm just going to run full force, and I'm going to run this way. Now, wait a minute. Stop. God's not giving you clearance. God's not told you that, that, that it's time for you to get on the runway and take off. If you have read scripture, if you have prayed and fasted, and you've consulted wise counsel, and still yet you don't have, you don't have clearance, you don't have freedom to take that step, what I do when I'm faced with the fork in the road is I take that as God's will. But at this point, I don't need to make any decision. I need to sit right down. I need to park myself at this fork. And I know that in God's timing, he's going to make clear which path I am to go. Oftentimes, no decision is making a decision. Oftentimes, not making a decision is making a decision. Saying no is choosing one of those paths. But that's what I do, is that when I don't feel comfortable that God is telling me to step forward, then I step back, I sit down, and and I just say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you and your timing. When you're walking in God's will and you're trusting the Lord and you know that the Lord told you to do something, and you're walking down this path and and you come to another fork, you come to another crossroads, and another voice tells you to turn around or to do something opposite of what God has called you to do, you need to ask yourself, who would tell me to do that? When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness and he was hungry, 
He said, Satan said, turn these stones into bread. Jesus must have asked himself, who would tell me, to, would God tell me to do that? No, in fact, God says you will not tempt the Lord your God. You need to ask yourself, would Satan be the one who's trying to lead me astray, or is it God? Well, of course, we know that Satan is the one who is going to try to lead you out. He will always provide a way out of God's will. This is what Satan did for Jonah. The third thing that we see from Jonah chapter 1 is this. When you get what you want, you may not want what you get. When you get what you want, you may not want what you get. Verses 4 through 6 and also verse 10, we've already read it, but we don't have time to read it again. Jonah got what he wanted. Jonah got exactly what he wanted, but he didn't want what he got. If I could speak to the singles here this morning. Some of you are young singles and you're, you're high schoolers and you're college. Some of you are older singles. And when I say older, I'm not saying old, I'm saying more seasoned, Okay. You may be looking for love, you may be looking for companionship, someone to call your own, someone to marry. But if you're not very careful and you're not selective and you don't guard your heart, you might wind up getting what you want but not wanting what you get. Remember, your first and foremost, your most important relationship is to God himself, not to another person. Your first and foremost relationship is to God. Then to your children. If God has given you children and you're single, God bless you. The hardest profession, I believe, in this world is being a single parent. God bless you. Your first responsibility is to the Lord. Your second responsibility is to those children. Your third responsibility is to your parents. Honor thy father and mother and never go away. And then, once you honor those in due season, the Lord willing, he might bring the right person in your life. The Christian life is not fulfilling wants but needs. The Christian life is not fulfilling wants, but needs. Now, there's nothing wrong with wants being fulfilled. I mean, I, I carry an iPhone with me. I don't need an iPhone. I want an iPhone. Now, I had people in the first service who were obviously Android people or, or they didn't like smartphones. They have their dumb phone, and, and, and they don't like smartphones. And, and they, 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 one person booed me. I said, I want an iPhone. They said, boo. Seriously, some Apple haters up in here. I don't, I don't, I don't need an iPhone. I want an iPhone. And there's nothing, I don't care what you say, there's nothing inherently wrong with having an iPhone. Now, with that, stop booing me. With that said, I want the University of Tennessee to beat the Gators in some sporting event other than water polo. We can't seem to do it. We seem to lose every time we, we play you all. Stop amening that. It's a want. Sometimes it's a need. But ultimately it's a want. What we have to guard ourselves, what we have to guard ourselves is when our is when our wants begin to cloud our judgment and begin to drive us. When your wants, there's nothing wrong with wanting things and, 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 and going out and, 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 you know, buying things. Obviously, you don't go out and, and, and spend yourself into, into further debt just because it's something you want, trying to keep it with the Joneses. We're talking about in, in a much smaller, there's nothing wrong at times fulfilling a want. 
none of us need steak, but sometimes we just want a steak and potatoes, and so you go get that. There's nothing wrong, inherently wrong with that. But what happens is the problem comes in is when that want begins to drive and it becomes your driving motivational purpose in life. It's to fulfill those wants of your heart. When we begin to pursue our wants with all of our heart, if you, if you want to be the wealthiest person in this world, you can pursue that, you can want it, and when you arrive, you probably are not going to like what you get. Our heart must be centered on the Lord, and our passion, our success, our driving motivation must be to fulfill his calling upon our lives. Now, if God is calling you to be the most wealthiest person in this world, and you center your will in his will, and you find fulfillment in him, then as you do that, you will find fulfillment. You will find fulfillment. But our pursuit must not be fulfilling our wants, but his will. I wish Jonah would have understood that. I wish I understood that at times. Because you see, oftentimes our heart, we follow our wants. That's what Jonah was doing. He was following his wants. And when we begin to follow our wants, when we get what we want, we often don't want what we get. Next, we see that God can hit a good lick with a crooked stick. As we begin to close out this message today, as I think about the sin that Jonah was in, Jonah was so far in sin, the text tells us that when the tempest began to come and the storm began to rest upon that boat, Jonah, where was he? He was in the belly of that boat asleep. You see, he was, how in the world can you sleep when the boat is rocking and the storm is, is, is crashing against the boat and the lightning and thunder? How in the world could this man sleep? I mean, he was outside of the will of God. But you see, he had gone so far into sin, he had probably convinced himself that he was actually doing God's work. He's doing God a favor by not going to where God told him to go. See, that's how illogical sin is. That's how illogical sin is. But notice that even in his illogical, even in his running, God still used Jonah to see people come to faith in him. Verse 16 of Jonah chapter 1 tells us that these men, these sailors, feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. These sailors would never have followed the Lord if it wasn't for Jonah's disobedience. Now, don't get in your mind that that means, oh, I can just disobey God because ultimately then God's going to use that to bring more people to the gospel. Wrong. That's a wrong way of thinking. What if Jonah would have just gone and did what, what God told him to do? Then maybe Jonah's career would have been even much larger and bigger and God would have used him to see even more people saved. But ultimately, these, these guys got saved. You know, I have lost count the number of pastors who have fallen in the past 12 months because of sexual immorality. For whatever reason, that's how Satan is attacking the church today. Pastors falling, falling because of sexual immorality. I've lo literally lost count. We've all heard the, the stories of so-called men of God who have done horrific things to people. How organizations say they are centered upon, upon Scripture and they desire to do ministry in Jesus' name, but yet they mismanage and misappropriate funds. You know, I don't believe that any one of these men or women who were called by God, who have fallen in the public eye, began their ministry believing that they would succumb to that sin. No, I would say that the majority of them would say early on that that will never happen to me. I will never put money over ministry. I will never put my marriage on the line for a mistress. While every situation is different, there is one common theme throughout. 
The downfall of all these men and all these women, listen to me, the downfall is a result of a slow leak, not a big implosion. It started as a slow leak. This is why accountability is so necessary in today's world. Financial integrity, um, uh, emotional accountability. You see, when there becomes a lack of accountability, that's when sin takes root in the heart and sin begins to grow. When we think that we are untouchable and when we think that we are higher than this, when we think that, oh, God has given me a suggestion to do, not a direction to go in, this is when it becomes problematic. Jonah removed himself. At no point do you find Jonah consulting any friend. At no point do you see Jonah allowing any man or any woman to speak into his life. No. He heard the word of God, and what did he do? He immediately started to run. You see, when you remove yourself, when you remove yourself from accountability, when you remove yourself from allowing people to speak into your life, even when you don't want to hear what you, when you're in sin, what do you do? You run away. Why is that? Because we don't want people telling us that what we're doing is wrong. It's truth. We don't like it, but it's truth. When there's a lack of accountability, this is when sin begins to take root and begins to grow. And before long, every sin has a way of making itself known. You can cover over your sin for a season, but your sin will always find you out. And let me say that if it weren't for the grace of God, we would all be imploding right now. All of us are sinners. You say, well, I'll never cheat on my wife, and maybe you would never cheat on your wife. Maybe you would never mishandle money. But let me ask you this, are you leading your wife the way you should? Are you always truthful? Are you always pure of heart? The answer is no. So the question then arises, how then does God get anything accomplished if we're all sinners? I hope you realize that this is not a perfect church. I'm not a perfect man. We're all sinners and the, every church is flawed. You will, if you find a perfect church, please don't join it because as soon as you join it, it's not going to be perfect anymore. The reason why is because we're flawed, and as we're flawed, churches are flawed. A church is just a hospital for sinners. All all, all we are is is we're sinners, we're saved by grace. But notice in the text that when Jonah, even when Jonah was outside the will of God, God still chose to bless him and to see people pointed to him. Instead of a whole city, hundreds of thousands of people being saved, though, when Jonah could have been in Nineveh preaching at that point, He's only seeing a handful of sailors be saved. God can hit a good lick with a crooked stick. I'll never forget moving to Texas, and everything is bigger in Texas. I I tell you, it is. We lived there for seven years of our life. We moved from East Tennessee. The biggest town we we had known was Knoxville, which is very small. Uh, The town that I am from is Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, has 5,000 people in the city. The church that God chose for us to serve at was Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas, 30,000 members. That means that the church I was serving at was six times larger than the city that I was from. As I began to, to research this church, I found out that this church only had two pastors, Billy Weber, who I never knew. He, was, he had already passed away before I was even uh, came to Texas. And then the second pastor, my mentor, Dr. Jack Graham, I found out as I did research that Prestonwood at that, at, in the 70s and 80s when it was started by Billy Weber in the 1970s that it was the fastest growing church in the world. 
they were baptizing thousands, literally thousands of people. It was nothing to baptize three or 4,000 people in a year. I mean, it was growing. It was massive. God was doing great things, amazing things, awesome things. But what I'm about to tell you is not gossip because it hit Dallas Morning News. It was all over every newspaper in the country back in the late 80s and early 90s. It swept across newspapers. It was all over TV. It was everywhere. That even while that church was blowing and going and exciting and people getting saved and the church was growing and that preacher was preaching and people were getting saved and lost people were getting saved and baptized, that whole time this pastor was sleeping with other women. They counted anywhere between 20 to 30 women in a five-year period that this man had slept with. Well, I saw that as a young seminarian, a young preacher boy, and I, I, could not, I, I, could, I couldn't understand it. Now, wait a minute. So does that make the, those people's decisions who got saved in that church, does that invalidate their decision to follow Christ because that pastor was so full of sin? I really struggled with that. So I went to my professor, uh, Dr. Roy Fish, who's in heaven now. He's, he was over evangelism. The way we understand evangelism is because, large part, to this man, Dr. Roy Fish. And I went to Dr. Fish. And I said, Doc, I, I told him the, my issue, and I, I told him my struggle. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just at the end of myself trying to understand this. And he just looked at me and he said, son, God can hit a good lick with a crooked stick. And that statement has stuck with me. And I thought long and hard about that, and, and I thought, you know, well, I've not slept with 20 women the way Billy Weber did. I've got my own sin, and God chooses to use me despite my sin. I look at Jonah, and Jonah had his own sin, and God still chose to use Jonah despite his sin. The reality is, is that God is not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for perfect churches. God is looking for people who are willing and he's looking for churches that are willing to say yes when he calls. It may not make sense. It may not make reasonable sense to do what he's calling us to do. But if it makes biblical sense, then why are we not doing it? There's two people, two kinds of people here today. There's those that, but all of us, all of us, all of us need to hear from God. We need to be willing to say yes to God's call. You can't run from God. Why are you trying? first time a person that's here today is a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. You're lost. You don't know him. And you're running from him. And you're thinking that I can put all the pieces of my life together and make it make sense. Well, you've not done a good job of it yet. What makes you think you're going to do a good job of it in the future? You see, the reality is we're all sinners. The only way to get your sin forgiven is through the blood. The only way sin can be appeased, the only way God will look over sin is for God to cover over that. The only way, the only way God is going to cover over sin is through the blood of a spotless, perfect lamb of God. There is no other way for a person to be saved. If, if God could save us by being good, if God can save us by, by doing enough good things, then the death of Christ was in vain. It was in vain. He would have just said, do good things. He would not have sent his son into this world to die. Think about it. Today, I call you. I call everyone to search your heart. Is there a time in your life when you confess your sin, invited Christ into your life as Savior and Lord? 
If there wasn't, why not today? Stop running from God. Run to him. In just a moment, we'll have a minister at the head of each of these aisles. And I invite you to slip out from where you are and come forward and take that minister by the hand and say, I need to be saved. There's another group of people here today, and that's those of us who are saved. And once you've tasted and you saw that the Lord is good, like Jonah, and God's told you to do things. God has told you to, to, to go in a direction, and yet you've chosen not to go in that direction. Maybe God's not called you to do something as big as to go to Nineveh and to preach uh, to thousands of people. But maybe you're, maybe you're walking in sin. Maybe that, that sin that, that you are committing, you're committing over and over and over and over and over. And, and you, that sin is drowning you. Listen to me. The beauty of God is that he is not going to make you feel bashful. He's not going to unload upon you when you run back to him. Jonah had every opportunity to turn around and to walk from Joppa and start walking to Nineveh. I'm calling out to you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading you. Turn around and walk in the right direction. The way you're walking, the route you're walking, you're, you're walking toward disaster. If you're walking in sin, you're walking toward disaster. God's going to do one of two things. He's either going to take you out like he did Saul, like he did Billy Weber, the man from Prestonwood who died, a, a, a young 40-year-old man who worked out every day, gone of a heart attack just like that. Gone. gone. God will either take you out or he will put you through hell in the belly of a beast to bring you back. Why would you want to do that? when you can walk the straight and narrow path that he's called us to walk down. Return to him. Repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. Turn to him, and the beauty of God is that his grace and his mercy covers over a multitude of sin.